0: So our New Testament lesson this morning is from Colossians chapter one verses fifteen to twenty. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything Christ might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace Through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of our Lord. So, as I mentioned before in the announcements, this week begins our new series on creation. And, well, the idea that at some point we had, um, we thought when we were planning this out many months ago that spring would be here and that the creation would coincide with some kind of warmth and growth and new life happening in our lives apparently there are other plans in store for us currently well we begin today not with the creation story from Genesis as you might expect it seems like any creation Series should start with the actual creation. But instead we have these words from Job and Colossians. And I wanted us to see really that the elements of creation and the connection between God and creation and the beloved children are tightly woven throughout Scripture. Old and New Testament there is an understanding that There is a close-knit relationship. In our New Testament passage this morning, we have Paul showing us clearly that the supremacy of the Son of God, which pertains to some specific things that the church in eastern Turkey is going through. But we are looking here at the portions of creation, and Paul says that Christ, in the image of God, is tied To all creation. And this isn't new information even in the New Testament because it ties back to words from the Gospel of John, who says that the Word was present with God in the very beginning. The Word was God, and so on. This is not a new motif, but uh, an echoing, and Paul moves ahead. And creates here, in a unique way, one of the most profound descriptions of who Jesus Christ is. As Christ is over the natural creation found in everything that exists, as well as being first in the spiritual creation of the church itself. Creation is made through Christ, Paul says. The lens, the vehicle, the funnel, the... Not a good metaphor for what this is. All of creation comes into being through Christ. It's true that we benefit from... Checking some of the characteristics that Paul continues to list when describing Christ in this passage. If it is, as we understand, one of the most profound places that Paul takes the time to really outline who Christ is, we do ourselves a favor by looking at it. And there is a sense of wonder and adoration and worship for Paul. Paul writes in this way in a lot of places. It's not just about rhetoric or expressing a point or telling a history. It becomes a worshipful experience for Paul. And so hopefully, I think Paul hopes that we are worshiping as well as we read it. It's not just theology, but relationally tying God and humans together. So, how is Christ described? Paul describes Jesus Christ as reconciler. The verse says, For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to God and to Christ all things, all things are reconciled. Paul describes Jesus Christ as peaceful the very next portion of that passage, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this is not just peace as quietness or absence of conflict, but this is the, this is the Jewish understanding of peace, the Jewish shalom, the perfectness, the peace that can only be found when a thing expresses itself Expertly, in exactly the way it was created and intended to be by God. That is true peace. That is shalom. That is the kind of peace that we find in Jesus Christ. At several places, Paul describes Jesus as creator. Jesus is revealed as the creator of all things, seen and unseen. This is a dichotomy that reflects everything that exists, everything that is, the two forms that make up universally the totality of all. Also, Jesus Christ is indwelt of God and supreme. For anything less, for Jesus to be anything less, is a bridge that is broken at the farther end, to quote an Anglican bishop from the turn of the century, has a good image that if God, if Christ is not indwelt of God, if God and Christ are not supreme, then it's like a bridge going somewhere that breaks off at the very end. So here are Paul's descriptions. Reconciler, peaceful, creator, supreme. I wonder if we struggle with any of these ways that Christ is expressed, that God is expressed through Christ. Reconciler. At what places do these roles start to make us a little uncomfortable? Is it when God desires to reconcile our enemies? Is it when real reconciliation asks us to look deeply inward at places in our lives and our pasts that make us uncomfortable do we have trouble when the peace of the world forces us to make real and unpopular actions does it become uncomfortable when we lack the peace in our own lives that leads us to focus on anger issues or issues of conflict What about Jesus Christ as creator? When God, when the sovereign of love and our savior are at the heart of all things that are created, does it give us pause when we analyze our consumptive nature? Are we in awe and respectful of all of God's creation or do we act as uncreators in the world lying waste to what God has made? At what point do these roles of Jesus Christ force us to be uncomfortable? When does the supremacy of Christ in all things cause us to reconsider our feelings of being right? When do we rail back at God When do we become so uncomfortable that we finally cry out and say to God that we know best? When do we have our Job moments in life? The passage that we read is God's response to Job in one of those moments. Job has finally come to his breaking point. And finally, says that God is unfair. And this is God's response. Job is an interesting book. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and possibly they are still historians debating it uh, the oldest book in the world. Which is very interesting and fascinating because that means that it deals with the oldest human problem in the world. The oldest human questions. The way we feel when our lives are full of pain and uncomfortable and hard. The story of Job is at the epicenter of what inevitably goes wrong with human beings. We become obsessed with ourselves. In the midst of our success, we can pay lip service, as is implied that Job is doing at the beginning of the book. We can say the words and attribute our success to God's favor on us, but in Job, it's only through tragedy and being uncomfortable that real theology comes through. If you've read through the book of Job, you know that Job's friends come to him in the moment of Job having lost everything, lost his family, lost his fortune, lost his home, lost his health. His friends come and say, it must have been something you've done, Job. God only punishes bad people. Maybe there's some of our own bad theology that is reflected there when we have these same kinds of moments. But we know that that's not true. We know that God doesn't only punish bad people. We know lots of people that are bad that look like they're having blessings all the time. So in the discourse of the entire book, Job finally cracks and demands, demands that an unjust God answer him. Are any of us in pain today? Are any of us right now wondering if God is there, if the cosmic order of the universe has it out for us? We're struggling with the total loss of our lives as they have been brought down around us. Then we are in good company We are in good and ancient company. We are in company that has been going on for centuries and millennia. God's response to Job that we read, this beautiful poetry that begins Where were you at the founding of the earth? Where were you when, you when I marked off the dimensions of all that is? It's not a comforting response, as we might expect or hope for. There is a wonderful Byzantine fresco that I would love to see in person that depicts this scene happening... And it's beautiful, and it is one of these early church images that speaks to what John and Paul are saying here to us today, because it depicts Jesus as the incarnation of God responding to Job in that moment. So this can't be some horrible Old Testament God railing back at Job, feathers ruffled. How dare you, good sir, question who I am? Instead, we are forced to read it differently, to understand and reconcile that this is also Christ. Christ was here at the founding of the universe who was there in all those moments that God is describing to Job. And so this response is a challenge surely, but also a poetic show of what all things are. The implication to these questions, where were you when these things happened? The underneath question is also, where were you when I made you? I, as God, am remembering all of the different facets of how the universe has become made together, of how each molecule and atom were stitched Of where the light resides and where the darkness finds its home. I know these things and I know you. I want you to understand this universe, this world that has been created. All of these things I want you to hear. I want you to view the world as I have made the world, as God sees the world, as God understands the world. Some tiny sliver, Job is being given a view into... This is why an awe of creation is important. That is what God is trying to help Job understand and do. Job has gotten away from a good theology and is instead trapped in an unhealthy one. Job has lost his awe of the world and is instead focused inwardly only and demands things from the Almighty. And God says, that is not the way things are, my friend. The awe of creation is important because it sets us rightly in our universe And it's why the destruction of creation, the carelessness with which we can sometimes approach it, is dangerously callous and against God. We need to desperately cry out from our loneliness and pain and be met with wonder. With the wonder of creation and the stars and the gravitational eddies that surround them. With the wonder at the way good music can speak to us deeply. We must see with wonder the way things grow and the way things lie dormant. The way strangers and our church family can surprise us with their love. If we do not... We will never understand God or Christ because Paul tells us that the image of God in Christ is present. Is the Samite through which all things are created and flow through. That peace, that care, that sovereignty, the reconciliation. This is how all things came into being and this is how you find your place in the universe. If we do not have awe, if we do not have wonder when looking at creation, we will turn inward for our answers. It is inevitable and we will also consume ourselves in the process. Theologies will become toxic and we will quickly forget the perfection that was made in Christ's blood on the cross. So quickly after Easter. Paul writes this from prison. Job cries out from the prison of his own situation and in both of these cases there is a choice. Paul could look inward his own strength and clout as a Roman citizen. He could lash out at God for his circumstances as a prisoner. He could bemoan on the political powers of Roman authority over him and its obstruction of his message. Or he could tell others about the perfect power over all things that is held in Jesus Christ. Job makes a different choice. Job does rail at heaven in his situation. Job goes down a bad path looking to his own wisdom, saying, My wisdom has failed me, God. I do not have enough wisdom to understand why this is happening. And there is the demand there that God infuse Job with new wisdom. Because his previous understanding of the world has failed utterly. The way that God sets Job back on the path is to list out the many creations and aspects of creation that span across the universe. It is then upon being brought to consider creation that Job finally sees. Job said, I used to hear and think I understand, but now I see and fully understand. And then, and only then, does Job repent and change. For a long time in the story, Job sticks to his guns and says that he has nothing to repent for. Going so far in the book of Job to list out all of the rules and ideals by which he lives by and has never failed. All of the ways that Job is a good person. Yet after his revelatory moment of true seeing, God, <clears throat> Job repents in dust and ashes. Job's Real sinful nature, as revealed by the trial of his circumstance, was not being able to see God in all things. Job only saw God in God's place. Job only perhaps saw God in his blessings, in his wealth, in his family, in his position socially. Those are all ancient problems, certainly nothing that we still deal with today. But once the God of all things is revealed, Job has a different outlook. And that's why creation is important. That's why we'll spend the next few le- weeks looking deeper. Into what creation is all about. That's why we need to study more deeply our, cre- our connection to the created world. Not because Jesus was some hippie tree hugger with big plans for us. If we can only save the dolphins. But because if we ignore that. We ignore the essence of God in all things. At our peril. Theologically and spiritually. It goes way beyond recycling. So, this concept of all things in Greek, as it appears here in Colossians, is one of those Greek words. It's both simple and deep at the same time. The word is pos, not to be confused with the Latin pax, meaning peace, but pos is a word that. Utterly means the all of all. It means everything that follows under and afterwards. If I said that all of the people of the city were going to do something using the Greek vernacular, we would have an image in our head of every person, every age, every Section of the city, and even those who were just now touching the borders of the city and signing a contract on a house or an apartment or living and moving here for the first time. That is all. It is the whole and the individual pieces, all counted together, the large and small picture at once. It is the beach and every grain of sand. All of The things. All things are reconciled. All things are made peaceful and whole. All things have been created, and over all things is Christ supreme. This is not a call from Paul to have people write letters to Roman senators about the issues most pressing to all decent Christians. This is a statement about the radical order of the universe. The unalterable, undeniable state in which the present continuity of existence resides without the possibility of change. If we are in prison, if we are in pain, then we have choices to make. If we are coasting on our loyals and enjoying a theology that is shaped by a happy family and healthy wealth, then we still have the same choices to make. How will we experience the image of God? The all that Christ is, as expressed by everything. Paul writes from prison about these things to the church in Colossae because they are making choices about how to move forward as Christians. They were not all good choices. They were starting to favor a law code. They were looking at mandatory circumcision going without as a foundational spiritual practice. They were looking at angel worship and some other things. They wanted to make a lot of rules and they were starting to look inward. They stood in their own personal pain like Job and demanded order and outlines from God. And if they weren't going to get them from God, they were going to find a way to make them up themselves. And Paul's response was to recenter them on Christ and use the same illumination for their eyes that is found in Job. Christ is the indwelt incarnate God who orders the morning and knows where the light and darkness reside. If you seek all things, if you experience awe in all things, then you will find Christ bearing the image of the Almighty. This is what will bring us truth and our own repentance. But who can look at all things, for heaven's sakes, and not just crumple and give in to Job's admission of knowing nothing (laughs) and just retiring to the ash pit to sit and throw them on ourselves? Well, for a little while, eh, not too long ago, I just started through the habit of reading the kind of populist publications of astrophysicists. It was entertainment reading, and we did everything from Einstein and Hawking to Goldsmith and Nakajima. It it seemed like a natural leap for me, for someone who loves Star Trek and Doctor Who, and I just naturally slid into reading about quantum particle behaviors and string theory and galactic nurseries where stars are formed. But as you read through a lot of that stuff all at once, you get to the point where your eyes slowly close and you have a real hard time wrapping your head around stuff like just going to the grocery store or pouring water out of a tap because you start contemplating the spaces between subatomic particles and the way that speed affects this passage of time is affected by gravity and the possible intergalactic presence of dark matter. (coughs) So in the same way, we need to take small bites out of these things that are all-encompassing. Whether we've just read through the poetry of Job and are having a shocking experience, or whether we're really just having an experience with creation, whether it's the subatomic or the Grand Canyon out before us, when we consider As it says in Job's, the gates of death and the fathoms of the oceans, we have to take small bites. And so, it comes to us in a sermon series, an opportunity. As a kind of training, a kind of refocusing for our spiritual eye. Like Job, perhaps we have only heard before, but now we have an opportunity to see in doses, in capsules, in ways we can digest it slowly. So I hope we all and our whole church family can enjoy and join in this sermon series on creation because it is direly important. And next week we'll return to the beginning. We'll read the first passages of the creation stories from Genesis The first words of scripture that describe God's loving making of all things. We'll also consider how we are stewards of this created world. How water comes alive to us through Christ and how our bread gives life. We'll consider the birds of the air as well as seeing how the groaning and lament of creation is still very much with us today. In our city. We, like the church of the Colossians, are luckier than Job. We get to encourage each other. We get to hear one another. We get to help each other as we attempt to see the image of God in Christ. Through whom all things were made. Because there are, of course, places... Or the authors that use that Greek pas, meaning all things, notably, again, come to us. Maybe you've been thinking about it already. There are other places in Scripture where the authors mention all things. All things, that refrain holds a power for us that I'm almost sure we're familiar with. If you remember that all things are also born, all things are also hoped for, all things are also endured together, all things are believed in by love. From the letter to the church in Corinth. Truly we serve a God of all things. A God of creation and power and awe-inspiring modes. And reconciliation and rulership and supremacy and yes, love. We are not left alone in our prison of pain or hurt. We are born out in love. Out of the all things found in love, we are invited and welcomed into a way of seeing all creation in a new way that will change and reshape our lives. I look forward to the next few weeks together.